I'm going to be speaking to you this morning about saying goodbye. I know you are well aware of this topic. Um, You are in the process of saying goodbye to two dear men and their families. And given the history that these men have with you as a church, it's no easy thing to say goodbye. But you're not alone. God is here with you. And he's given you his word, and he's given you his inerrant, all-sufficient word. He's given us this book because he loves us, and in it we have, in his very words, we have everything we need for life. And so you have everything you need for this challenging transition, everything you need to, to learn how to say goodbye in a way where you encounter God and bless one another. There are many passages actually in Scripture that equip us for such occasions, and I believe this one is a prominent one in Acts 20. This is a passage where Paul is saying goodbye to his dear friends from the Ephesian church. And there's lots that we learn from this passage, uh, lots of things that, that don't necessarily speak directly to saying goodbye. We learn about pastoral ministry here. We learn about the role and relationship of a leader in his church. We learn about the sacrifice of mission. We learn about the faithfulness of God. But all these things are learned in the context of Paul saying goodbye to these dear folks. And I trust that as we read and hear from God's Word, He Himself will speak to you and bring these lessons to home and build you up and and help you. So let's pray and ask Him to do just that as we come before His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And I thank You, Lord. We thank You for Your love for Your people here and the mission You've called them to, Lord. We thank You that, that You've given them everything they need and that Your Word is living and active. Oh God, as we... As we hear from your word, it feeds our souls and it changes our lives and it conforms us to to be more and more like Jesus and equips us to to carry that mission forward. So we thank you. We thank you for this passage. And I pray you'd help me, Lord. Help me to to teach it, to proclaim it, to serve you. And and in the process, that, that as we listen to your word, that you would speak and our attention would be drawn to you and we would encounter you for the glory of your worthy name we ask. Amen. Amen. Please listen as I read starting in verse 17 following to verse 38. Paul's saying goodbye to the Ephesian church, in particular the elders, and it says in verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. God's word from from Acts chapter 20. Most likely... Probably all of us in this room can identify with some extent to Paul, with Paul and the Ephesian elders. Uh, all of us have probably had seasons where we've enjoyed rich relationships centered on the, the gospel. We've enjoyed the blessings of friendships and sharing of life and perhaps mission together. And in my life, uh, my Christian life of almost 35 years, I've, I've had many of these. My wife and I cut our teeth as new Christians in the ministry of the Navigators at UMass, and we actually have a number of friends here in the church that were part of that ministry. It it was a wonderful season of life. Everything was so new. We were encountering the truth of God, and I thank God for the heritage we have from that time, the memorization of Scripture. I still remember those verses. It makes it hard sometimes because I read the ESV, and they're they're all in the NIV, but I'm grateful for that, and just all the blessings, the friendships that we experienced, and it, it seemed like it never would end, but it did. We graduated and moved on and had to say goodbye. Following that was a season where we found ourselves in a church in Boston, a Christian Missionary Alliance church, River of Life, and experienced just another wonderful time of building around the gospel, building together in Christ, and loving each other and doing mission together, and and it seemed that this was the place we would stay for the rest of life, grow old together, be part of reaching Boston together. But in 1994, God called us away from that to Maryland. Well, then it happened again in Maryland. We became part of a wonderful church. Oh, we loved our church in Maryland, a, a sovereign grace church, and Developed friendships, did the whole thing, repeated it all over again, and, and, and found our hearts knit once again to people who we loved dearly, and we thought we would grow old together. In the year 2000, God called us away from that, to be trained as a pastor and church planter, and then to plant our church in 2002. 
And we've done it again. We've built friendships, knit our hearts to people, experienced the grace of God uh, together, and watched God work to touch lives. But then again, this past September, for the sake of the mission, we sent out two plants and had to have our hearts again torn in two as we said goodbye to dear friends. This is our experience, is it not, in life as believers? We experience these seasons, and there are tears each time, and there are cherished memories of gospel fruit, and yet God calls us to, to separate as part of the plan. You, you know about this, don't you? Well, Paul and the Ephesian elders did as well, and I believe this section of Scripture helps us greatly. I, I think it teaches us a few things that I want to highlight teaches us that when God calls away dear friends and leaders on mission, we are to, one, remember their legacy with gratitude. Two, we're to grieve over their parting with hope. And three, we're to trust our faithful God. Those three things are, I believe, what this passage teaches us, particularly in light of saying goodbye. Remembering with gratitude, grieving with hope, trusting in faith. So let's dig in. Let's dig into those three points and learn from God's Word. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders here, and he reminds them of his ministry among them. I don't think Paul's reminding them of his ministry because he's feeling sentimental or or somehow he wants kind of the the right kudos for what he did. He's really giving his life as an example to them. These are elders. He's wanting them to, to exemplify how he's lived. But in his explanation, in this uh, example that he lays before them, we we learn a lot about his ministry. We learn a lot about the incredible blessing of a godly leader. Paul tells them that, he, that they themselves personally know how he lived among them. They, they know all about this. They know him. Paul was not a, not a distant leader. He didn't spend time in his office and just occasionally you know, write on a blog or send out an email. He was someone who lived among them. He, he brought the Word not only in their regular gatherings, perhaps you know, in a larger venue perhaps on Sunday, um, but from house to house, day to day. He was a man who brought the Word, and, and he, they saw him in action. They saw his life. They saw him teaching and proclaiming the Gospel, ministering to people personally, interacting with lost souls, pouring out his life in love for them. They themselves knew how he had lived among them. They knew his real and consistent humility his heartfelt emotion, his affection, his honesty, emotionally being honest in the ups and downs of life, the tragedies and triumphs and through serious trials and really life-threatening persecution. Paul saw, they saw Paul's life, they saw his tears, they saw everything. They, they knew this man. And they had experienced his commitment to the Word of God. His hard work of teaching and proclaiming God's Word in every context, public and personal, Sundays throughout the week. And, and he did not shirk from proclaiming to them the whole counsel of God. The whole Word of God. He taught the entirety of it. He didn't hold back on the things that are maybe more difficult to teach or to explain or would perhaps be more countercultural. All the while focusing on the great central truth. The amazing gospel of grace. God's good news to us. Thank God. Thank God 
for the leaders that bring us the good news, the leaders that proclaim the gospel of grace, the leaders who point to this central message of Christ crucified for our sins and risen from the dead. It was so wonderful to sing of these things this morning and be reminded. Thank God for the leaders who proclaim these things and teach us. And through them, God impacts our lives. Thank you for the new life that comes through this and, and, and comes through faith. And, and if you're relatively new here on a journey, considering the, the truths of Scripture, there's no better news than what we have in Christ. All of our sins forgiven. All of our sins paid for by Christ Himself. His blood shed on the cross. His life offered up for us. His victory over sin and death through His resurrection. It's truly wonderful good news, and, and the call simply is to turn away from every other alternative and to trust in Him. That's the good news, and, and that's what Paul taught. And I know that's what Jeremy and Seth have taught here as well. They have served you. They have reminded you of this core, central truth. Thank God for leaders who bring us the gospel of grace. God had used Paul in a, an incredible way in Ephesus. If uh, maybe you don't know the story, he went there. There already was a witness, but when he came, just in his calling and, and God's grace in his life, it was in weakness, but there was power that uh, the gospel was proclaimed, lives were transformed. The whole region of, of Asia, the whole province was really turned upside down by the gospel or, or right side up. We know that because if you read in, in Acts, you'll see that that economy of the region shifted. Can you imagine the gospel coming and impacting so many lives, perhaps, a, perhaps even a majority of the population? This, this would be tens of thousands or more affected where the, where the economy shifts. God had done wonders through the good news in this church, and, and they had experienced great blessing through Paul. And you might think, well, why mess with that formula? Why mess with that formula? Here you have a man who's blessed and who's faithful, and, and he's producing fruit. I mean, the, the whole province is being transformed, and, and we're just going to see more, and then we can, we can send out missionaries from here as a result. Just, just think of all that we can do with Paul staying here in Ephesus. Let's keep this guy. But Paul did not belong to the Ephesian church. And the Ephesian church did not belong to Paul. The Ephesian church and Paul both belonged to Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we do what He says. We follow His call. And it may not make sense to us in the short term, but it is His call. And it is his church, and he will be faithful to do his work. And so Paul is constrained by the Spirit to go, not knowing what is ahead, but counting his life not his own, but a sacrifice to his, his Redeemer, his Lord, all for the sake of this glorious gospel of grace. He is called as a, an apostle and a missionary, and so he must continue to go. And so the Ephesian church like we do so often, was faced with the dilemma when deep affections and a wonderful legacy of a man collides with the mission of God. And God calls that man away. And He does this. And so we must learn to say goodbye. We must say goodbye even with tears. I don't know if you've heard of the famous Scottish missionary John Patton. He was called away from his family and country that he loved 
to bring the gospel to the South Pacific, he was responsible in many ways to, to inspire a, a significant missionary effort to Asia. In such a way, really, that you can trace the transformation of Korea with the gospel through the influence of this man. He had a tremendous influence in bringing the gospel and, and the example of his life. He sailed for the New Hebrides with his wife, Mary, on April 16, 1858, at the age of 33. This meant that he had to part with those he loved. He had been deeply affected by his godly father, so, so when their great love and the call to mission collided, it meant much sorrow. Listen to this account he gave 40 years after his parting with his dad as he left to go to seminary. He says, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long, flowing yellow hair streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence. And then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. When about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted inside into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he, he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. So we do the same. When the mission calls us to part with those we love, those who have had a profound impact on our lives. We remember and honor their legacy 
even as we grieve in saying goodbye. I encourage you to actively think through, and I don't imagine you have to think much, to think through the blessings you've received from Jeremy and Seth and their families, their godly wives. And I hope it was okay, but I took a peek in the book downstairs where you had journaled some things to Jennifer and Cindy. And their wives and their children are part of this. But to take time to thank them, to remember how God has blessed you, how they've helped you, how God has used them. And don't be afraid to grieve and show sorrow in letting them go, even as John Patton and his father did. This is what the Ephesian elders did. This is what we see here. Look with me at verses 30 to 38. It says there that there was much weeping. Verse 36, 37. There was much weeping on the part of all. This wasn't just a few wet, wet eyes. This was much weeping. Much weeping. This was grown men crying, maybe even sobbing. This wasn't just one emotional guy. It says, on the part of all. Just picture a big, weepy, crying hug fest with Paul. That's what's going on here. These men are weeping. They're, they're embracing him. They're kissing him. They are expressing their great love for him and, and their appreciation for him. This man had become very, very dear to them. And the thought that they wouldn't see him again, at least in this life, grieved them the most. And as good Mediterranean types, this meant manly kisses and hugs and much emotion. It was quite a scene. And probably a little over the top for your average New Englander. But no one would doubt their love for Paul. I think actually the, the... Typical New Englanders among us, self-included, can learn something from this passage and can learn from our more expressive brothers and sisters. Actually, my extended family on my wife's side has married into uh, Latino families. And believe me, there is no mistaking how they feel on different occasions. They are much freer with their joy and their sorrow. It's a study in contrast, actually, as the family gathers together, be it a glad moment or a sad moment to see the differences, the difference between the Anglos and the Latinos, either at weddings or funerals, whatever it might be. But I think overall, it's a lot healthier to let the things that are deep in our heart out, particularly when it's going to help us respond to the ups and downs of life in faith. It is healthy and good to express our sorrow, to share our sorrows together. And so I want to encourage you guys as you walk through this season of saying goodbye to, to be expressive and give each other permission and room to grieve and cry and maybe exchange some manly kisses and weepy hug fests even. And, and if someone thinks it over, it's over the top, just point them to Acts chapter 20 and say it's in the book. It's okay. As God's people, we, we can grieve. We can grieve deeply. But we can grieve with a hope that strengthens us. A hope that helps us along the way. Because we know that the parting is only temporary. It's only for a short while. 
It's only so that the mission may go forward, that God's work might be done, that there might be even more people at the end of everything to celebrate with. There's a reunion coming, and it's not long off. Our lives are short. And so we grieve and hope. We say goodbye knowing maybe we won't see them again face to face, but we will see them at the final day when the harvest is done. And even before that, in, in the Lord's presence together, we will see them. We will be with them. Grieving with hope is an important concept, an important truth to understand. We're called to grieve. We're called to, to weep honestly and fully, but to do it in hope. Our Lord Himself lived this way. It says in Hebrews 12, that as it calls us to finish our race, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was ahead propelled Jesus through the sorrow and suffering of the cross. Similarly, in a much less substantial way, certainly, but in a similar way, the joy of our reunion, the joy of the fruit, the joy of our reward propels us through the grief of the moment. So we can grieve fully. We can grieve honestly. But we can grieve in hope. So let me encourage you to grieve this loss. Work through how you feel. Think through it. Maybe you need to write a letter. And just capture those things in a, in a letter or a note. Maybe no one else sees that note. Maybe you send that note to Seth or Jeremy or someone in their family. But to think through, to grieve, to express your sorrow, but, but to do that with great hope, the hope that we have in Christ. Don't stuff it. Don't ignore it. Don't stay there. Let hope minister to you to strengthen you. As God calls those we love away on mission, we remember their legacy. We grieve and hope. And we do so trusting our faithful God. We see this in this passage. As he spoke to these elders, he was reminding them. He himself was putting his trust in God. He's reminding them of their faithful God. He's calling them to hope. He's calling them to put their eyes on God. Calling them to trust in His faithfulness. This passage is full of a Godward orientation amidst this saying goodbye. To put their confidence in God. Now, this wasn't an artificial or or syrupy sort of fake faith or hope. Paul was very aware of the challenges ahead of them. He lists them in the, in the passage. He knows there's some real challenges that's gonna, that they're going to face as a church. He's honest about those. If you look in verse 29, you'll see. He talks about the challenges there. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the, the flock. There are going to be fierce wolves. There are going to be those who come who, who don't care about the flock. They're called to love the flock. This is the flock that the Holy Spirit has set them over, that the flock that's been purchased by the blood of Christ. This is God's church. And yet there will be fierce wolves who will come in. They will come in and they will seek to devour the flock. They will seek to, to, instead of laying their lives down for the good of the flock, laying the lives of the flock down for their own perceived good. Fierce wolves will come. He also says that from your own, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There will be People who even come from the midst of the church and 
probably the midst of the elders who will seek to draw away people to themselves. Draw them away from this solid foundation that Paul had established. Draw them away from the the gospel of grace at the center. Draw them away from the Word of God and what he had called them to after themselves. Paul's aware of the challenges. There are real real challenges for this church. Later on, he says uh, he's laying the example of his own life, how he worked and was not greedy, to call them to be generous in their lives and and in their service. And this is probably because he's aware of the danger of greedy leaders, that that there would be leaders who might come who were more interested in, in worldly riches rather than heavenly riches. But notice that Paul doesn't panic. He doesn't face these challenges and, and he doesn't panic. I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I tend to swing from one extreme to the other. I tend to extre- swing from like pessimistic panic on one side and unguarded optimism on the other. I don't, I'm not real good at staying in the middle. I'm either like, oh, it's terrible or it's all going to fail or, oh, we're going to do it. There won't be any problems. It's going to be wonderful. Well, well, Paul calls the Ephesian elders and God calls us to this, this sober faith. This sober faith in God. This, this wisdom of looking to God. And so he points through this, even while listing these challenges, he points through this to God and to what God would do. We see his trust in the Father and in, and in the means of God throughout this passage. He calls us to recognize, he calls them to recognize, God calls us to recognize that it is God who's caring for his church. It is God who gave them as elders to the church to lead. It says that this flock, it says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God has been at work. God has worked in the lives of these elders and raised them up to serve the church. This this is something that God's been doing. And not just the Spirit of God, but it says, made you overseers to care for the church of God. This is the church that belongs to God. God Himself. This, this is God's church. The Ephesian church belongs to God. It's His work. The Spirit's been at work. The Father owns it. And God the Son has shed His blood for this church. He has paid an infinite, precious price to purchase this church. In other words, this church belongs to God and is infinitely precious to God. The Ephesian church and South Shore Baptist Church. Paul's reminding them of this. In times of transition, in times of leadership transition, we are called to put our faith in God who oversees the church and owns the church and has purchased the church. We're called to put our trust in Him. To look at the challenges, certainly, but to look Pass them to a faithful God who has already done His work. Christ who has finished His work on the cross, shed His blood to purchase His people. He said, it is finished. It stands finished. He's purchased His people. And the Spirit of God is at work in this church. We look to Him and transition. That's what Paul's calling this church to. That's what God would call us to. He takes care of what belongs to Him. And we can face our future and the dangers that loom because the church belongs to our triune God. 
And Paul knows that God has given them the means to keep them and to guard them and impart life. And verse 32, he commends them to God and the word of his grace. That's his hope. That's how he concludes here. I commend you to God Himself and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Word of His grace is what formed this church. The Word of His grace, of God's grace, is what's built this church up. The Word of God's grace is what continues to feed this church and propel them in mission. It's the Word of His grace. It's the means, the, the Word of God through His servants to the church. As they walk in Paul's footsteps as elders and minister the Word faithfully, as they live generous lives in that, he will continue to do his work. God has given us his Word. And his Word is living and active. And it does his work. God owns the church. This is God's church. Your church is God's church. And He's given you His living Word. And His Word will have its way as you honor His Word, as your leaders keep His Word central. Just as He did for this church. This church continued to thrive. Had its challenges, but continued to thrive even for centuries after this. And by the way, this wasn't the only church that Paul left. There were many churches he left. One of those churches was really his home church in Antioch. You can read about that wonderful church in Acts 11 and 13, 14 and so forth. The church in Antioch was a wonderful church. It was a church that was experiencing gospel growth. It was, it was experiencing transformation and, and, and really innovation in, the, in that they were taking the gospel to peoples that others hadn't gone to before. It was a wonderful church full of life. And they had done the same thing that the Ephesian church was going through. God called them to send away their very best, Paul and Barnabas. So they gave up their very best. And what happened to them? Did they fall to pieces as soon as Paul left? Did they stagnate, stagnate and die a slow death? Were they overrun by heresy and controversy? No. Throughout the biblical record, they continued to thrive. And, and actually, the historical record tells us also that even hundreds of years later, this church stood, actually in a, in a time uh, about 400 years later, it stood faithful to the Word of God when other churches were kind of going off the rails and, and were saying allegorical methods are how you interpret the Scriptures. The Antiochian church stood to the faithful grammatical historical method. 400 years. We, we know we, you can actually read the sermons of a man who lived them named John uh, Chrysostom. And if you read those sermons, you'll see they're, they're relatively solid sermons from the Word of God. So this church in Antioch continued to thrive. Went on to be a pillar among churches for hundreds of years and a center for world missions. And not only Antioch, but so many other churches have experienced the same. The same faithfulness of God. The same power of His Word. In our city in Haverhill, there's a church that just celebrated its 250th anniversary. First Baptist Church of Haverhill. It goes way, way back to even really the First Great Awakening. Um, there were people who, were, as they studied the Word, came to Baptist convictions, started this church. And they've been faithful to the Scriptures, faithful to the Gospel for 250 years. And let me tell you, I know the senior pastor, I know I just was at an ordination council yesterday with them. 
There is lots of life in this church. And in many ways, their, their days now are some of their best days. They're, they're seeing fruit, and God is doing wonders in and through them. So let us put our trust in God. Let us put our trust in God who, who owns the church, has purchased the church, works in and through the church. Let us put our trust in God who gives us His Word, which brings life and fruit and will continue to do so. He owns His church. He will honor His Word. I, I can only imagine what God will continue to do through South Shore Baptist Church. Your 250th anniversary is when? Any guesses? Any math people? 2197, I think that's right. 2197, none of us are going to be here. But I can imagine at that anniversary what will be celebrated. I can imagine what, what God would do through His Word. I can imagine the missionaries that you would send to the far corners of the earth. I can imagine the many thousands and thousands of more who will come to Christ through this church. I can imagine all the lives, all the individuals, all the marriages, all the families transformed by the, the grace of God and the Word of God, made to look more and more like Christ. I can imagine all the things that God would do between now and then. For this is God's church. And He's given you His Word. You have such reason to trust God for your future. So put all your confidence in Him. Put your confidence in His Word. And He will do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. His Word is sure. He's given you His Word. He's given you this Word. He's given you Acts 20 and many other passages. He will continue to feed you and use you. But let's begin this day to live in light of His Word. Let's learn from this passage that when God calls our dear friends, our leaders away on mission, we remember and give thanks for their legacy. We grieve their parting in hope. And we trust our faithful God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for Your great love for this church. Thank You for all the heritage and all the good things You've been doing here. Thank You for these precious saints. Thank You for the ways that You're using them, Lord God. And thank You for what You have in store. I pray, Lord God, Your presence and power with them in this transition. That they would say goodbye in a biblical way. In a way where they would meet You. Where they would be full of gratefulness. Where there would be grieving and sorrow, but hope. And where through it they would put their trust in You. And oh God, would You lead them onward? Would You do above and beyond all that they would ask or imagine for the fame of Your name? for the joy of all peoples. We thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.